Good morning, everybody. Let's stand up and worship. off the surface you're coming into focus we're going back to the basics the glory of your face is the reason why we do this the winds of worship blowing the doors of heaven
We're glad you're here today. If you're visiting, have a prayer request, or just want to connect, please text CONNECT to 904-441-6900. Senior Adult Luncheon this Monday at 11.30 a.m. Seniors 55 and better are invited to Chick-fil-A and a message from Carl Olson. Grief Share is surviving the holidays is next Sunday at 2 p.m. It is a two-hour seminar where we help you find encouragement, support, and valuable tools to navigate the holidays. For any questions, please contact Betty Hill. 2023 Operation Christmas Child. The deadline is next Sunday. Help us beat last year's record of 1,075 gift-filled shoeboxes. Let's make a difference in the lives of children in need. Good morning, church. Psalm 78, 4 says, To tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And, you know, we're blessed to be part of a church that values the next generation enough to be willing to invest in them. And uh, as Christians, there's nothing more important than we can do than to teach the Bible to our children. Um, you know, I believe God's going to send us uh, new people here at Anastasia, new young people to care for. Um, I've had the honor to invest in many of the young people here in this church, and there's a, what an honor and a privilege it is to to be able to pass the gospel on to the next generation. Um, so we need to commit as a church to um, have a space for them to um, to to share the gospel with them, to care for those that God's placed in our care. Um, so Simon, my son, is up here with me to share uh, some of the things he's excited about, about the For Generations to Come campaign. Good morning, church. Some things that I'm excited about the new building is that it's safer because youth and kids are going to be in the same building instead of being spread across the whole campus. Wednesdays, we usually do Foursquare and basketball in the parking lot, but it will be a safer, better environment to do that in the gym. Also, it will be a great way to invite people and share the love of Jesus with them. All right. Well, there's um, three ways you can give. You can um, go to our website and give. There's a button on top of the website. You can um, scan the QR code on the screen, or you can text the word GIVE to 904-441-6900, or you can use one of the various drop boxes um, located throughout the campus. And um, Simon's going to pray for our offering. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would bless this offering and the hands that gave it, and I pray that you would help us to complete the work that you have given us to do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, please turn your attention to the screen. We have a video about Operation Christmas Child. We don't need to go very far to find enriched groups. We heard about this village. 
that the persecuted Christians, they usually stone people who come to establish a church here. We prayed for one year, and uh, I decided to meet with the chief of the village. Ça a changé beaucoup de choses envers les petits enfants. Suivant, quand ils vont, comment on appelle à l'église. Ce que le pasteur Isaac l'inculque là. Though this chief wanted some change to come in this community, he couldn't take the necessary step until his children receive a gift box. We want to come here and talk about Jesus. When we came with the boxes, there was a lot of commotion in the village. And that day, when we distributed, they were so happy, smiling. They were dancing. Seulement, là, en ce qui concerne les boîtes cadeaux, en toute honnêteté, ces boîtes ont apporté un grand changement. En ce sens que, tout d'abord, lorsque les boîtes sont venues, il y avait eu une grande joie dans le village. And then, we said that we need to start the discipleship with the children. We saw that there were some changes in the lives of the children and even in the commitment of the chief of the village. It is true that God gave us a vision, but without the gift boxes, I figured out that we might have not been able to accomplish that vision. and I'll be starting off with Micah 7, 18 through 19. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now Hebrews 8, 12. For I'll forgive their wrongdoings, and I'll never again remember their sins. Thank you. Against me, 
marches, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. In Almighty Fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. In Almighty Fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God.
Morning, church. My name is Jake Butler. I am a junior. Sorry. Morning, church. My name is Jake Butler. I am a junior at Nice High School. I'm a leader at Fellowship for Christian Athletes there. Um, I've been going to church here my entire life. I was even baptized here, but this is the first year I've been going to youth group consistently. I've always believed in God. But I never really knew why. I just believed because my parents did. And I saw how God impacted their lives. And I had a childlike faith. My relationship with God started to, it started in general, when I was about 16. I started going to FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I saw the leader there at the time, Jacob Lindsay, and I saw how God impacted his life, and he helped me find out why I believed in God, and he helped me in my walk with Christ. I had built a relationship with God after that, but it still wasn't where I wanted it to be. I still did not read the Bible that often. I rarely prayed, and I started going to youth group here again just recently, and that's when everything changed. I saw it was a godly environment, and I saw how God had impacted these people's lives, like Pastor Jeremy, like Nate, and my friend Sam Kelly, and it impacted me. Um, I've started reading the Bible every day. I've started praying at every chance I can get, and it's really changed me. It's made me want to become a youth pastor, and these people, especially Pastor Jeremy, has helped me learn if I'm called or not to this, and this youth group has changed my life, so thank you very much, church. Good morning, church. Very honored to be up here this morning to have this little talk with you all. All right. So, have you ever noticed... Oh, by the way, I'm Reed Curl. <laughs> so, have you ever noticed how baby eyes have this shine to them? Not as much as toddlers, but newborns. If you pay attention to them, especially in pictures, you'll notice that their eyes just shine. Right? They have this beautiful, shining eyes. And when they're born, they usually have this color close to blue or a blue close to color, Right? It's called baby blue. That's where the term baby blue comes from, those bright blue shining eyes. Now, when they're born, when we're born, our eyes tend to have very low melanin levels. And this lack of melanin in our eyes allows for the light to bounce off our eyes and give us those beaming bright eyes, right? But it's only some months later till the melanin comes in in our eyes for a lot of us, and we lose that brightness in our eyes. And I've noticed that as how we grow up, that we have the brightness in our eyes and that brightness goes away. I've noticed that just as how the brightness goes away, 
the joy and brightness in our life tends to go away as we get older, which is incredibly, incredibly devastating because as followers of Christ, we're supposed to be the ones with the most joy. We're supposed to be the ones with the most happiness. I mean, we should be in celebration. We should be like a man who just found out he's going to be a father. That's how happy we should be. We should be bursting with joy. So why are a lot of us not so? It's heartbreaking to see and hear about so many people who have faith in Christ that have got so bogged down by the world that they've just become stuck in this moment of depression. And this fascinated me. How can this be? And more importantly, what is the help the Bible can offer on this matter? And I found it in the frankly chilling but very wise book of Ecclesiastes. Now, one thing of note with Ecclesiastes in particular is that the book in itself is technically anonymous. There is no mention of any direct author in this here. However, we can infer a very likely candidate for who wrote Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes begins by someone called the Quohilith in Hebrew, or the preacher. He's the son of former King David and is now himself the king of Israel. This, according to rabbinic tradition and ours, the writer of this book would be King Solomon himself, who lived around and reigned 970 to 930 BC. Going off this, we would have to accept the Jewish tradition of when this book was written. Song of Solomon being when he was young, Proverbs written in his middle years, and then finally, in his senior years, we have Ecclesiastes. Now, reading this book coming into the knowledge that this would not just contain the wisdom of Solomon, but the wisdom of the entirety of Solomon's life. So this book has more valuable information in it than our grandma's cookbook. But once we start reading, you'll notice something sounds off. So if you can, or if you're able, please stand with me as we honor the word of God. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 4. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. You may be seated. Now what's fascinating is we just came out of the book of Proverbs, a book about how sticking to wisdom and following it will be good for you. And so did Solomon. He just wrote Proverbs some time ago. But now we see the phrase repeated, vanity. Now what you see used in Hebrew is the word hevel. The preacher uses this throughout the book, and I got it counted personally, 38 uses of the word hevel throughout this book. And there's a specific reason that I'm going to be reading out of the KJV here, because some versions I truly believe are not as accurate. You might see hevel displayed as the word meaningless in some other versions. This is not accurate. No. The interesting thing here is that hevel means like a vapor. You may have heard another preacher say that life is like a vapor, right? Life is hard to grasp onto. One moment you can see it, and moment, other moment you can't. One moment it's right there, and it takes another shape. It is passing like vanity. It is not meaningless. No, my life most certainly has a meaning. But at times it can all seem so unclear. And this preacher in this state of mind continues the reason, continues, sorry, the list reasons why he thinks life is vanity. 
He says in Ecclesiastes 1.18, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. A man who has been given by God wisdom greater than all of Israel is realizing that even after all of this, despite his wisdom, he's still depressed. He's heartbroken. He finds that despite all he has, all the wisdom he's gained over the years, he's still sad. And he goes on to make this point, and he goes on to make another one. He observed another constant in this life. He says, And whosoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. From my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. Behold, all was vanity and vexation of the Spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath already been done? Then I saw the wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived that also that one event happened to them all. Then I said in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which is now in the days to come shall be forgotten, and how dieth the wise man as the fool? Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 16. You can read the distress from him. This preacher saying how even though he works day in and day out under the sun, he's found that everything appears to him as vanity. Everything appears to him as hevel. They can be so extraordinary wise, yet no matter what you have, no matter how much work you put in, he feels that at the end, None of it's going to matter. Everyone ends up in the same way. Now he carries on with this theme as well, as other pockets of life. And he gets to yet another major point he's writing. You see, opposed to Proverbs, which shows how there is correlation between wise and receiving your dues for it, he also observes that life under the sun, or in other words, that the vanities of this world do not always pay due to those which worked for it. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 through 12. Whatsoever thy hand findest to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet the bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught up in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them all. He observed something called chance that people can put their life's work into things and work on it all their life, yet it might not always come back to them. He goes this whole book lifting off all these things he calls 
evils under the sun, about how misfortune plagues life, how he finds things temporary. But at the same time, he also lists off why we should still follow Proverbs. Yes, even though he thinks that life is vanity, he says it's good to follow wisdom, that it's good to read Proverbs and to follow what it says. Why? Well, because it's the right thing to do. So what's the hope in this? And what do we take out of it? Well, it goes into this in the chapter nine. Go thy way and eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of the vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of vanity, for that is the portion in my life, and thy labor which thou takest under the sun. That because knowing how life's passing, how it changes constantly, how we don't know our future, we need to stop trying to control all of it. He ends this book in chapter 11 and 12, stating ultimately to enjoy every moment of our life, all of it. Remembering the troubling days and sticking to the Lord in all ways to fear him. We are possessive creatures, but we cannot control everything. We must let go of our grasp. Throughout the whole book, you see, just after saying vanity, he often says grasping for the wind. We can try so hard to take and take and take control of everything in our life, but we just can't. We have to let go of taking control and enjoy the present. We may not see everything in our life, but for us believers, with the word, with following this wisdom, we can have a light unto our path. We won't see the whole path, but we can confidently take one step ahead one step forward at a time. Enjoy the little things. Enjoy every moment with your family. Enjoy laughing with your friends or just the time soaking in the wonders of God's creation. The world has lost a majority of its joy, but I believe it is still possible to be amazed at life's wonders. The knowledge of knowing that everything on this earth and in our life only happens once is the most amazing miracle. So the author of this story ends with one last thing of note. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Thank you.
What a blessing it is for me to be able to minister to and lead all of these students. Aren't you blessed by all of them this morning? Um, I am um, honored and have the privilege of being able to to hang out with our students, to lead them, to guide them, to share God's word with them, to pray with them, to share life with them, and um, experience their energy um, always. It's so awesome. And um, I love to be a part of it, and we love to share it with you guys this morning. So I have a, um, a, a short little, little message here to finish us off here, um, because it has to do with how we guide our students and how um, I think that we can all apply God's word to our life. Did you know that when Heinz Ketchup comes out of the bottle and onto your plate, it's traveling at a rate of 25 miles per year. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you know that when you sneeze, sometimes it can travel up to 65 miles an hour? It's pretty crazy. Sneeze, the stuff coming out of your mouth. 65 miles an hour. That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty incredible, you know, the power that we have, right? Um, did you know that a duck's quack doesn't echo? And nobody knows why? Kind of interesting, kind of interesting. Do you know that, the, that Charlie Chaplin once placed third in a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest? <laughs> See, um, do you believe all of the things that I just told you? I don't know if they're true or not, but this website that I got that information off of says it's true. But we say a lot of things from this stage. And we say a lot of things in church that, do you know if it's true or not? Or do you just believe the guy that's up on the stage that's talking about it? Um, so why do you believe what you believe? That's a question that we pose to our students all the time. And I tell them often, I say, don't just trust my word, but take it to God's word and read what he has to say about these things so that you can have a faith of your own. So when I was in college, I went to the University, the university of Florida, and I, w- I was very involved with the Baptist Student Union that was right across the street from the stadium, and right across the street from the Baptist Student Union, union was my favorite place, Burger King. And I went to Burger King um, quite often because it was right there and it was really cheap, and so I went in, and there was this homeless guy who was sitting right there by the door, and he said, he said hey, um, can you buy me some food? And I said, um, or he said, can I have some money? And I said, I don't usually give out money, but I'll buy you some food. Would you like, um, you know, a hamburger or something? And so I went in, I bought him a a hamburger meal, and I came out, and I bought myself one, and I sat down, and I ate it with him. And so then I wanted to share the gospel with him. And I started to talk to him. I said, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And he kind of said he didn't know. And I asked him if he'd like, if he'd be okay with me sharing with him how the Bible answers that question. And I went through the gospel presentation and I told him all about our sinfulness as a human and I told him all about the good news of Jesus that he was God's son came to this earth lived a perfect life died on the cross for our sins and that if we can have the forgiveness of our sinfulness and have a relationship with God if we would just repent um, of our sinfulness and believe that Jesus is God's son died on the cross for our sins and would you like to pray that prayer today and he asked me a question and that just blew my mind and changed my life in that little moment he said why should I believe you over the Hare Krishnas that bought me a meal yesterday and what they say is true? And I was kind of like, I don't know. 
I didn't have a great answer for him. Used to could be, we could say, well, look at all of the Christians and how we live our lives so differently than everybody else. It's a a testimony to how God um, is working in our lives. But you almost kind of can't really say that so much anymore because a lot of times Christians look just like the rest of the world and they don't live a whole lot different. A lot of times I could, I could, you could tell them all sorts of different like church speak, but it didn't seem to work for him at that moment. And so I didn't really have a good answer. I can say, well, it's just a matter of faith. And I pray that God will, God will lead you to the truth. And then I went home and I was like, why is what I say true and every, all the other ones are not? Why do we have the right answer? And that's a question that I try to teach our students about all the time. To have a faith that's not just believing what some other random person told you, but to to really know why you believe what you believe. And if you can put any fact or any experiential story or any work of God onto that answer, I pray that you'll have a good answer for that as well. So I want to share with you a couple of things. If I was going to change my answer to that guy today in only like five more minutes, because <laughs> that might have been all I had with him at that moment. But I want to change my answer. I want to, I want to share with you a few things that, will, that, that changed my answer. First of all, it has to do with, uh, it's, it's really two huge things. One is the prophecies fulfilled by Jesus in one man. And then two, it's the validity of the Bible, the 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 the, the integrity the the literary integrity of the bible that we have and uh, and, and those two things strengthen my faith they're factual as no it doesn't really take any any like faith or belief it's just straight up facts there was 351 prophecies that were written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born 351 of them and they were all fulfilled in one man. If one, fu- if one person was going to fulfill eight of those prophecies, the odds of that happening would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Crazy. And so to me, that takes no, that, that really reduces the amount of faith to believe. Why is that? Is Jesus true and the other ones aren't? Because Jesus fulfilled all of them. And if it was only eight prophecies, it would be crazy. Um, for one person to fulfill 48 prophecies, it, the chance would be one in 10 to the 157th power. You wouldn't play the lottery based on those kind of odds, right? You wouldn't do anything. You would say that's impossible. You would say it's absolutely impossible for anybody to do that. For one person to fulfill all 351 prophecies is absolutely impossible. It would be supernatural or divine for any one person to fulfill all of those prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. And we see a lot of those prophecies in the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people. To the Jewish people who struggled the most with accepting Jesus as their Messiah. And I'd even, I'd even challenge you today, if you have a Jewish friend, if you're watching online and you're Jewish, my question to any of my friends that are Jewish, I say, I say God bless you, God chose you, he, you are the chosen people of Israel. I mean, it's, so, it's such a special thing to be Jewish. Why is Jesus not the Messiah? That's a great question. Why is he not? Read Isaiah 53 
and see that it just says, it speaks of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He was, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a, like a sheep at the shearers. He was silent. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, by his stripes we are healed. All of those things are prophesied about Jesus. It's just a picture of Jesus. Why is he not the Messiah? Matthew was saying the same thing to all of the Jews as he wrote his gospel. I want to share a couple of them with you. And hopefully this will strengthen your faith. And hopefully if somebody ever asks you that question, why you believe yours is true and the other ones aren't, you could share with them some of these scriptures. From Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came and he lived with us, and he was born of a virgin, Virgin Mary. That's one of them. Jesus had no, no control over that one. It was the place of his birth. In, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It prophesied the city that Jesus would be born, that the Messiah would come from. Jesus had no control over that. Well, he did because he's God. But, but as, as a human, we don't have any control over where we're born or who our parents are. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, that he would be called out of Egypt. And this says that Joseph got up and took the child and his mother during the night, and they left, and they went to Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and then they came back. So it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I had called my son. Matthew quoted this prophet, this prophecy, and he said, that's what happened when Jesus and his mother and father, they went to Egypt and then they came back from Egypt. So he was born of a virgin, born um, in Bethlehem, but he was also called out of Egypt. It also prophesied his hometown in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. It says this, and he went, Jesus, or Joseph went and lived in a place called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So all of these things Jesus had no control over as, as a human, right? He was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, called out of Egypt, and he, his hometown was Nazareth. These are three huge things that were big prophecies that Jesus had no control over, and, 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 he, and that never happened in that day. People didn't travel like we travel all around the world. You're born in your hometown, you stay in your hometown, you die in your hometown, and that's where it happens, Right? And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, called out of Egypt, and then he uh, was, was a Nazarene. And on and on and on it went. It says it prophesied about his death. He would not have a broken bone. It said that the, his disciples would scatter. The, in, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 9 and 10, it talks about how the blood money used uh, or that, was, that was gathered for, for Judas betraying Jesus was used to buy a potter's field. And that happened. The birth and life and death of this particular Jewish boy is more than just a remarkable thing. It's a divine prophecy fulfillment. I want to share one other quick little fact with you. One other quick little fact. This is pretty cool. The, the Bible. I mentioned the validity of the Bible. Okay, The validity of the Bible. The, we, we have all of these ancient documents. And we, say if you had 100, 100 contestants for which one is the most accurate ancient document. 
and you have one in first place, and all the rest, 99 through 100, are all in, in, in like way, 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 way back in, the, um, in, in finishing the race. You have uh, the copies of these, of these documents that we had. The second place is Homer's Iliad. And we have 643 copies that are about 400 years after the original one was written. Okay? So that's like second place here. Way, way, way out in the front. We have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament. We have over 24,000. So the Bible stands in first place way, way out in front of all of the other ones. About 80 to 100 years after the original one was written. More accurate by far than any other ancient document that we have. And there's so many other facts about the validity of the scripture. If God was going to say to us, this is who I am, and this is how you should live your life, don't you think he would preserve his word more than any other document on the planet? So when I look at the scripture and I see how valid it is as an ancient historical document that we still have, the most persecuted document on the planet ever in all of history, God held it and protected it and he shows us this is who I am. This is how you can have a relationship with me. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies over and over and over again. It's impossible to do what God has done unless it was supernatural, unless it was his plan. So when I look at his word and I look at his son, I believe whatever they tell me. That's what I would say to that guy. Why did I bring all of this up to you? Because this is what we challenge our students with. We don't just play games, eat bologna and candy all day, every day. <laughs> I really want to challenge them to have a faith of their own. And it's such an honor to be a part of that. To see these kids who have an opportunity to do something that's just wrong with their life or to turn their life over to having a real faith in God and this is what we do but I want to challenge you as well to have a faith of your own and if you've never really accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior I pray that you would today we're going to sing one more song here if there's any way that you would like to say I want to draw closer to God on my own I see all of these kids I hear their testimony but I'm kind of just floating through life not really making much of a difference for the Lord, but I think I want to. I want to challenge you. To come, up, come on up during this last song. We're going to have some, some, um, some folks up here that would love to, to chat with you or counsel you or, or help you make the decision that you want to make. Come on up here and join our church or say you want to be baptized or take a step of faith, even if you don't really know what that means and you want to just talk with somebody about how to take your step or your faith to the next step. We'd love to talk with you some. I challenge you today to make your faith your own. Not your parents, not somebody else's, not some going through the motions kind of faith, but a faith that really believes what you say you believe. We're gonna sing one more song here. And if, as we do, hey, you can cut for that. We're gonna sing one more song. And as we do, I pray that God will um, work in your life and that you will take steps closer to him today. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we can, we can um, be encouraged by all of our teenagers today. And be challenged to have a faith of our own, a faith that, that puts you first, a faith that is real and authentic. God, we love you, and I pray that you will move in the body of, the, of these believers today. In Jesus' name, amen.
wonderful message by our youth and Pastor Jeremy. Why don't we give him a round of applause? Thank you all for coming this morning and have a great week.